You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you again for the opportunity to serve you and for this camp meeting. Uh, Lord, just continue to bless. We need your power. We need your strength and your wisdom. We're asking for the Spirit of God, Lord, not because we deserve it, but because you've promised. And so here we are, Lord. Uh, just empty us of self. Uh, make us humble, Lord, and, and help us to hear your voice. Once again, Father, speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the next couple of days, um, this presentation and tomorrow's presentation, part one and part two, um, I want to cover... I want to cover important things for you to know as new people get ready to come to your church. So there are, there are things that you need to do. There are things that you need to know. There are things that you need to be thinking about when, when you're getting ready to do an evangelistic series and folks are going to come to your church for the very first time. There's a slew of things, and we're going to be covering a, a lot of this stuff. And it's vitally important that you do that, and you do that now before the people come into your church. First, let's talk a little bit about the foundation of relationships. Looking at Daniel chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. What story is this? This is the lion's den. You remember the story? This is uh, the Babylonian Empire has already fallen. The Medes and the Persians have taken over. And uh, the king has, has an affinity to Daniel. And he's, he's just appreciated Daniel. And, and, and he's promoted Daniel. And that has called, caused a bunch of jealousy there in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians because they don't really like the fact that a Babylonian who's really not a Babylonian, who is really a Jew, is... is the one that's over all of them. And so they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of Daniel. And they come up with this great idea that they will, they will make a law or they'll get the king, convince the king to make a law that no one can pray to anybody but the king for 30 days. And so sure enough, the king who is, who is quite proud signs that law. And then what does Daniel do when he finds out that there's a law out there? He does the thing that he always does. He opens the doors, he opens his windows, and he prays like, like he normally does. Now, let me, just, let me just tell you, let me just take a pause here, which I was not going to do, but let me just take a pause here to talk about that particular, um, that particular reality. Why is it that Daniel chose to do that? Had Daniel not done that, would God, would God not have heard his prayers? All right, so God's law is the supreme law, and this king's law, well, that's the law of the land, but that's not the supreme law, and we need, to, we need to obey the supreme law. But what if Daniel had obeyed that supreme law? He just didn't do it around the people. What if he just closed his windows? Could his witness change? She would have, the thing is to say, he would have gotten He'd know, he, he would have known that he's changing his behavior based on the king's law, and God would also see that. You know, God would still recognize Daniel's dedication to him. I think it would bother Daniel's conscience if he would actually alter his behavior based on this new law versus doing what his custom was. Okay, so it would alter the behavior. It would... Um it, it was going against his custom. It, was, it would break his whole relationship with God. I got a hand back there. I think it's because he had many more 
was trained that. He was trained that way. Okay. As a child. Okay. Daniel is a special individual because remember they're 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 captives from from Jerusalem. They're they're captives uh, because of all of the rebellion of the Jews. And from the beginning in Daniel chapter one, they are having to stand up. Everybody else is 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 caving in, but they're having to stand up for for their beliefs. And in Daniel chapter three, they're having to stand up, although. Uh, although it's at the at the cost of their lives, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who uh, who are told they're going to be thrown into into the fire, and so God has placed them in a position specifically so that they are to stand up for God's truth, for what is right. He is He's chosen them to do that, and so when you get to Daniel chapter uh, Daniel chapter six, it's just the very same thing that they have been doing. God has elected these men to stand up, even though the government in power has requested that they do something totally different. Now, in this particular instance, the government in power has requested that they violate biblical principle. So here we have a moral issue, right? Here we have a biblical compromise. For 30 days, you are not to pray to anybody but the king. That's that's an issue of religious freedom there. That's an issue of religious freedom. That is a direct command to violate scripture. But keep in mind that Jesus said, to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's. Not every law that Caesar makes violates Scripture. And and we need to start thinking through that. Over the last three or four years, you've heard a whole lot of conversation of stuff that supposedly violates Scripture. Friends, there's going to be a day that we will have to stand up like Daniel. There's going to be a day. It's not here yet. It's coming. It's a coming fast. It's a train that's moving and nothing's going to stop it. There's going to be a day that we're going to see laws that directly go against what Scripture is asking us to do. And everybody is to bow down to that idol. Everybody. This is Revelation chapter 13. The beast gives the power to the beast and causes all to worship the, the beast. Those laws aren't here yet. Be careful what you start pushing back on and causing yourself and causing your witness to not be able to be effective in the day that we're living in today. Do you realize that when they opened up the border in Calgary, I could barely get into Calgary, Canada. As soon as I told them that I was a pastor, it was 400,000 questions. When I told them we were coming in to do a grief seminar, the guy at the border said, are you qualified to do a grief seminar in our country? List the ways that you're qualified. Why were they doing that? Because there were some ministers inside of Calgary that had, that had decided they were going to stand so strong against this COVID thing, they had ruined the whole thing. And so we barely had the opportunity to go in there and preach the everlasting gospel. Sometimes we take actions that all of a sudden kill our witness before we have the opportunity to, to preach. Jesus himself, Jesus himself said, 
There are things I need to tell you, but you're not quite ready yet. And he was cautious and he was careful the way that, that, that he, even to his mother, he says, my time has not come yet. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves. It's coming. It's coming. You, you just know it. It's prophesied. There's a day that we're going to have to stand up because the law is saying you have no choice but to violate the Bible. And at, on that day, stand up. Stand up and be counted. Don't worry about what's going to happen to your body. But until that day, you've been called to preach the everlasting gospel and do everything in your power to preach. And remember, as I said a day or two ago, we lost the ability to, to control uh, what government does years ago when we asked for a king in Samuel. Give us a king just like everybody else. Well, as soon as we asked for that, then we became, we became oppressed. We, we were enslaved. We were under, under government now. And that, there's a balance there because obviously there is, there is a faithfulness to God that always trumps it. But now we're under government, and that's the, way, that's the way it is until Jesus establishes his kingdom. And the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. Now, pay attention closely. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no harm. Did you catch that? God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth because of what? Two things. I was found guiltless between me and God, and I am guiltless between me and you, O king. This is the foundation of relationships. Are we guiltless between us and God, and are you guiltless between you and man. It is the Ten Commandments. Matthew chapter 22, 36 through 40. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. But does it end there? No. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These are the two great commandments. You are to love your God with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul, and you are to love each other. On these two commandments hang how much of the law? All, all of the law and the prophets. We're talking about bringing people into your church, new people into your church, growing your church. But friends, if you have issues with your brethren, how are you going to grow your church? A lot of us, hey, we want to connect with God every single day, don't we? Well, we come to church, we want to sing the songs, we want to build our church. But then it comes to the relationship with our brethren. And well, hey, Lord, not him. That guy's, that guy's going to burn at the end. He, he needs Jesus. And God is call, calling us to fix those relationships because they are as vital and important as everything else. He's saying, hey, listen, you have to have a good relationship with me. 
And it is that good relationship with me that gives you the strength to have a good relationship with others. But you can't skip the part of having good relationships with others. You've got you've to fix that as well. And the question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to begin to resolve the problems that we have internally in our churches? And how many of our churches have problems internally? My goodness. As I go from church to church, and it never fails. You know, I go to a church and I speak, and at the end there's two or three people that are, that are there waiting to talk to me, and it's always the same thing. Oh, pastor, let me just tell you about this pastor here that's... that's pre- Come on now. I, I know. It's a, anywhere you have humans, you have brokenness. That's the way it is. But God has placed us here to work together with each other through the power of God and fix those relationships. Do we believe that God is strong enough to fix the relationships? That's what it comes down to. He is. He is. What, Pastor, what about those, those individuals that just don't want to get fixed? Well... Several things I'll tell you. One, sometimes God puts you in somebody's life to see things that nobody else sees. And it's in those times that you should take it as great privilege and you now become the prayer warrior for that individual. And so I would would pray like mad. Secondly, the Bible says that the wheat and the tares are going to do what? They're going to grow together. Don't pull the tares, he says, because as you pull the tares, you might pull the wheat. Now, you know, you do have to take care of issues in the church, so don't use that as an excuse not to take care of the issues in the church. There's a biblical way to do that. But also, don't get so hasty to pull those tares because you're going to pull others others with it. That has to be done through the power of God. God has to decide who and how He's going to take care of that. And then number three, going with that kind of reasoning... I can't tell you how many times I have prayed that God take care of the situation. And I pray something like this. Father, I don't don't have foreknowledge. I don't have omniscience. I don't have wisdom. I'm not a prophet. I don't have seer's eyes. I can't see beyond me. I can't read the heart like you can. If this individual here is going to give their life to Christ, is going to walk with you, then, Father, give me the peace, the patience, the strength to keep on going. If, however, Father, in your infinite wisdom, you see that this person is going to divide and destroy your church, then take them out. I don't pretend to tell God how to take them out. That's totally up to Him. But God, take them out. There was a young lady that came to one of my churches uh, one time and and she was really, really engaged uh, all of a sudden, just came out of nowhere, just engaged. And she would come to prayer meetings and she would just, it was just like, oh, well, what a, every church, every pastor wants somebody that's very engaged, that wants to get involved, right? And we're all struggling find, finding workers. And here, here comes this lady and, and man, she's, she's young, she's energetic, she wants, to, she wants to get involved, she wants to work. And then... I started having some conversations with her and she would say things like, you know, I've been praying that God bring me a, 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 just a godly Hispanic man into my life. And I thought to myself, that's a, that's a, little, that's a little odd. <laughs> we don't know each other that much, you know. It's, uh, and, and as the weeks went by, this just started getting more weird and more weird. And so I remember one night, I was so bothered about it, I, I, I was at home and I, I, I knelt down middle of the night and I prayed that very same prayer. She was gone the next day, I've never seen her again. 
God's willing to take care of your church. We just have to give it to the Lord. So if you have problem people, take that to the Lord. But know that you need to take care of these issues in your church. Do you believe, do you believe for one instance that new people are going to walk into your church and not know that there's problems? Listen, guys, every human being on this planet is a professional in interpersonal relationships. My son, a few years ago, had the opportunity to uh, get into an apprenticeship with, uh, with horsemanship, uh, training horses. Uh, he had been given a horse for free, and, uh, but we had to train it, and we, we ended up finding out that one of the best trainers in Colorado lived next to us, about five minutes away, a big, uh, big horse training center. And so uh, as we talked to the guy, he said, yeah, I'll train the horse, I'll train your son. They hit it off so well that about four to five months later, uh, he was talking to me and he said, have you ever thought about doing an apprenticeship with your son? And I said, no, never crossed my mind. So he took him on as an, an, an apprentice and you now Chase is now, uh, uh, he's 19, but he's, he's probably logged something like 5,500 hours on a saddle. It's just, uh, it's incredible. He's ridden, ridden thousands of horses. They had a horse uh, training center that had 100 plus horses out there. And you'd get out there on a day and you just, you're just jumping on one horse after another all day long. This is all you do. And because he was homeschooled, um, he chose to do his school on Sundays and uh, Sundays, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. All Tuesday and Thursdays during the school year, he'd probably put, you know, 12, 12 hours each day at the barn all summer long. He would put like 60 hours a week in the, in the summer. And we kept thinking to ourselves, is this, is this right? You know, should we, should we do something different? You know, are we being terrible parents? But he's come out of there and he has a career. He, he, he can train horses. He can train horses from beginning to end. He can train all kinds of, it's just in, incredible to watch him. He was able to accomplish that in five years. How old are you? Don't. Don't say it, but <laughs> you have been training on people for as long as you are alive. And the guests that come into your church have been doing the very same thing. I guarantee that as soon as they walk through the door, they're going to smell a rat. They're, they're going to know. They're going to know for sure whether there's problems in this church. They're going to see the little, the little rolling of the eyes. They're going to they're see all of this. And it's going to drive them away because nobody wants to be somewhere where there's problems. Before you invite them into your church, please, please pray about this and begin to solve the problems in your church. Get together with the folks that you have to get together with and through prayer and fasting, ask God to intervene. Because our relationship with God has to be spotless and our relationship with each other needs to be spotless as well. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. This is the rich young ruler. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, the issue with, with the rich young man is he was, he was wanting to do the stuff here. And he says that he's been doing that his entire life, although I'll challenge that. 
Because how can you do this appropriately if you don't do this appropriately? If you don't have a connection with God, then this is not real. In fact, I would, I would go as far as to say that love, true love, is impossible without a relationship with God. You hear people talk all the time about, oh, oh I just love her. No, you, you, don't, you don't love her. It might be something else, but, but it's not love. The only true love that exists is the love that we are granted that we can have once we have a relationship with Christ. Because our hearts, as we've said already multiple times, our hearts are wicked. The Lord looked down and saw that the wickedness of man was great and that every intent of his heart was evil. How long? How much? Continually. That's our hearts. There is no way that our hearts can actually love without the power of God. So when the rich young ruler says, I've done all of these things, that's impossible. That's impossible, not if you didn't have a relationship with God. And his biggest problem is he didn't have that relationship with God. And when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What is it that keeps us attached to this world and away from the Lord? Think through your life. What is it, what is it that's, your, that's your image? What's, what's your idol? What's keeping you chained? It's all a ball and chain. It's all it is. Satan has put millions, if not billions, of ways out here to keep us chained to the world. It's, it's different for every single one of, those, of us. All of that has to go. We've got to give it all up. We can't take it to heaven. We can just take our characters with us, and we need to develop that right now. What does your relationship with God look like? And your relationship with God is going to end up influencing your relationship with others. So what does that mean? We need to go out and we need to fix the relationships between our church members and us. Are you going to be able to do that on your own? No, you're not. So the first thing you need to focus on is what? The relationship with the Lord. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Are you walking with Him every single day? Paul says, I die daily. Are you dying daily? Are you spending time with Him? Are you getting up and giving Him your best, giving Him your first, waking up early in the morning and spending time in the Word of God, spending time on your knees? Just got out of Dan Augsburger's class uh, uh, early this morning at 9.30. Fantastic class. I took a, a class from him back at, at Andrews University on the history of Christian spirituality. Just absolutely love what God has given that man. And, and again, he's talking about the importance of fasting in this, uh, in this seminar. It was fantastic. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. How is that going in your life? How is, how, are, you, are you doing what needs to be done in order to, 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 to put yourself in a place that you can hear the voice of God? In the story of Elijah, Elijah runs up to the mountain, and, um, and as he's in that mountain, God comes out and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then what did, what did Elijah respond? Do you remember? He said, what did he say? He was kind of whining a little bit, wasn't he? Yeah, I've done all this stuff for the Lord and they're out to kill me. And, and then the Bible says something very interesting. It says that there was an earthquake, right? There was, there, was, there was wind, I believe it was, and there was fire. But it says something about each one of those. God was not in any of those. And then what? 
God speaks in the still small voice, friends. What does that mean for us? you got to get somewhere where you can hear the still small voice. If your life is going a million miles an hour, you constantly have activity. How are you going to hear the voice of God? How are you going to do that? You can't. You can't. You've got you to slow it down. And nobody's going to be able to slow it down except you. You've got to make the intentional decision to slow down. Yes, you can ask God to give you strength to do that because you, you need to ask God to help you there as well. But you have to make intentional decisions to slow down. You've got to get up early in the morning when nobody else is up. You've got to find that secret place where you can go to and spend time in that place. You've got to slow all that stuff down, quiet it all down, so when the voice of God speaks, you hear and when you do that, then that relationship begin, begins to develop. And once you have that, that relationship going, then you can start working on this relationship. Now, it's not one of these things. I don't want you to go home and start, and start working on your relationship with God. And 40 years from now, you're still working on your relationship with God. And you'll say, one day I'm going to go work. Listen, the disciples were sent out with what they knew. He sent out the 70 and they hardly knew anything. Start working on your relationship with God and trust that God is going to help you work on the relationship with others. We need to get that thing going as, as well. Reconciliation, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Several years ago, we were about to have communion. And one of the members of, uh, of my church came to me and said, Pastor, can I, can I talk to you privately? And I said, now? I mean, like right now? And he says, yeah, it has to happen now. So I said, all right. So we went to a private room in the church. And in that room, he confessed how angry he had been with me of, of this and that. And I mean, just kind of just poured, poured it all out and was begging for forgiveness. I, I had no idea, by the way. Do you know that that's kind of how it works? A lot of times we hold all of this stuff inside and are unwilling to give it to somebody. But the only one that's actually affecting is us. Because the other individual has no idea. They go home and they, they lay down on their bed and they sleep a wonderful night. But we who are holding all this stuff, we're, we can't even sleep at night and it bothers us and, and it just destroys our lives. When all, all we have to do is, is confess to our brothers. We don't, and this is not necessarily a, a prayer seminar, but do you, do you know in, in the study of, of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that confession is a major aspect of every outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have ever recorded in, in Christian history, that we have, we have writings on. There's always an element of confession. We are confessing to each other the things that we have done. We're confessing to God, and at that point, the power of God can, can be poured out. So he came to me, and he, and he confessed all of, these, all of these things. That's happened to me a couple of times. Bothers me a little bit. Sometimes I think, well, maybe I'm just a jerk. I mean, what? I remember one, one day at camp meeting, middle of the night. I'm, I'm, I'm done with my tent that I'm working on and just kind of walking the, the campus. And, and one of these golf carts come up, and it's one of the fellow pastors. And he, he, uh, 
he asked me to jump in and we start driving around. He's working security and, and we, we stayed out. We had some, we had great conversation, you know, about 30 minutes into it. He says, hey, listen, I just want to let you know, I, I really disliked you for a long time. <laughs> I was like, at first I thought he was kidding, but then I realized he, well, he wasn't kidding. And it was more than a dislike. I mean, this guy like really hated me. He started confessing all this anger that he had towards me. And, and I, you know, I, to this day, I still don't know why it is that, that he felt that way, but, but he confessed it all. He let it all go. That, by the way, had gone on for years. Ah, man, the things that we allow to eat us up because we won't go to, to the others. Some years ago, as a, as a young man, I was at Southern Adventist University, and uh, I sing tenor. I love singing. I've been, I've been in music my entire life. And Charles Huggabrooks um, was going to have a concert. How many of you know Charles Huggabrooks? Charles was going to have a concert, and I thought, oh, I have got to listen to Charles. It was going to be at the College Dale Seventh-day Adventist Church, so I got a seat right at front where I could hear him sing. And man, has God blessed that dude. He can sing like a bird. And so at the end of the, at the end of this concert, I came to him because every young, every young aspiring musician wants to talk to another musician and ask questions like, what do I need to do to, to further my singing career? And so I asked him that question and that was the rudest, coldest conversation I have ever had. And I walked out of there thinking to myself, man, that Charles, he can sing, but he is, he is the rudest man I have ever met in my entire life. Come 2014, Revelation Speaks Peace comes to Indianapolis. I'm pastoring out there, and here are a few of my uh, old church members sitting in the back. Glad to see you guys. had not seen you in a while. But uh, I'm pastoring, and I have the opportunity to lead out in the music program. I'm, I'm kind of been put on that committee. I'm in charge of that committee. And uh, two musicians have been brought in to sing. One is a, a beautiful uh, uh, soprano voice, actually an incredible, ridiculous soprano voice, uh, a lady by the name of Christine Woolman. She used to sing in the world, now she sings for the Lord, but I have just never heard anybody sing like her. Um, then, Charles Huggabrooks. And so I get to working with Charles for an entire month. Oh man, what a joy that guy is. He is absolutely amazing. Love him. Love him. He loves the Lord. So on, on, uh, on one of the final nights, um, well, the meeting's over now, everybody's packing up, and we had sort of a, a, a last get-together, uh, the three of us, we sang trios together and duets, and, and so I even got to sing duets with Charles, and it was, it was, it was great. So we're sitting at a restaurant, and, and I said, Charles, I have to tell you a story. And so I confess that. I, I, don't, I don't know how long, was uh, 20 years? 20 years in my heart that I carried around that he was a jerk and he really wasn't. Maybe he was having a bad day. Sometimes people are having bad days, you know? Do you have bad days? Well, if somebody has caught you during your, your bad day, they probably think you're a jerk. It, it, it is. Or maybe you've done the same thing. You've caught somebody else in their bad day. And, and, and uh, listen, give people a break. Bring it to them. Confess it to them. You know, if, if, if all of a sudden they scream at you and, and they, they verify that they are, they are not great, then at that point, take that to the Lord. Now you have the opportunity to pray. God has shown you that this person needs prayer. But I would, I would say that many people don't even know that they're offending others. They, they just kind of, we're human. But fix it. Fix it. Take it to them before you go to the altar. We want to go to the Lord all of the time, but 
unwilling to fix the problems that we have. Go fix them. God, God's going to bless you. First impression, we have eight minutes, and this is why it's a part one. And then tomorrow we will finish on part two. First impressions. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You remember this particular story? God has spoken to Samuel, and he said, Why do you, why do you keep weeping for Saul, seeing that I have what? Seeing that, that I have rejected him. And so he says, I want you to go to, I want you to, go to, the, to the brothers uh, of, uh, or the sons of, of Jesse, and I, I want you to pick out a, a new king. I've selected a new king. Didn't tell him who he was. Just go down there and, and look at the sons, and I'll tell you which one it is. And so Samuel does that. And, and in that conversation, we know that he picks, he picks David. Here's what the Lord says. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his what? Countenance or on the height of his stature. Uh, now, it's interesting that he would say that because if you read the story of Saul, Saul was the best Israel had. He was head and shoulders above the, above the rest. Or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The Lord looks at the heart. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, but the Lord looketh at the heart. Here's the thing about this particular selection. We focus a lot on this part. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And every time you hear a sermon on this, that seems to be what we talk about. But there's another part to this. It's actually quite prophetic. It's a warning. It's a flag. God tells us, he puts us on notice that man looks at something else. For man looketh on what? On the outward appearance. When your new folks come to your church, what do you think they're going to look at? They're going to be looking on the outward appearance. How do we know that? Because God told us that's what we do. We look on the outward appearance. You must expect that new interest coming into your church or new visitors are going to first judge you by the outward appearance. And that's everything. That's not just when they walk into the church. That's everything from looking it up on the internet to see if they can find it to, to seeing if somebody will answer the phone. We'll talk about that some later to pulling up in the parking lot. All of this has to be taken into consideration when you're thinking about new people coming to your church. For man looketh on the outward appearance and we should start talking about what does the outward appearance of our churches look like? So um, we talked a little bit about, about the evangelism cycle uh, yesterday. I, I won't go into, I think it was yesterday. Um, we won't go into, into that too much other than just to say, remember that it is, it is an entire process. Uh, but in this area here, this cultivate, this is the preparatory area, not only for your community, but also for your church and your people. And this is something that we don't focus a lot on. As soon as we want to do evangelism, we want to jump into the sowing and irrigating and harvesting. We love hanging out here. But here, we don't want to do a whole lot. Not a lot of training, not a, not, not a lot of fixing our facilities, but that's just as important. It's part of the whole thing. When a farmer goes out to farm, oh, we got a farmer. 
uh, you know, stuff breaks, doesn't it, on your farm? And it just, it just, it just does. And before you start farming, you gotta, you gotta make sure your equipment is fine. You gotta make sure that it works. You gotta, you gotta have all your stuff. And that's the same thing with evangelism. Before you start winning souls, you gotta make sure everything is set in order as best as you possibly can. Community, uh, I talked a little bit about this here uh, a few days ago, but I'll mention it again. Can I drive from one side of your community to the other and know that there is a church, an Adventist church in your community? Can I do that? If the answer is no, then you've got some work to do when you get home. How can you, how can you do something in your community so that when people drive from one side to the other, they will know it will be in the forefront of their mind that in this community, there's a Seventh-day Adventist church. I was talking to Pastor Leandro just a, just a little while ago about this very same thing. And from there, we decided that we were going to rent two billboards in the community, and we were going to put advertisements up there on, uh, about our church. One is some praying hands, and it just basically says, do you have something to pray about? Do you want to find a praying church? Come see us at campionsdachurch.org. And it, it's, it's just that, that simple. The other one is a multicultural family that comes to our church. We took a beautiful picture of them and we put that on the billboard and it just says, are you looking for family? Are, are you looking for friendship? Come find us, campionsdachurch.org. We place those on billboards in the, in the community and there's people that have been coming to our church because they've just happened to see the billboard. There's folks that are moving, especially in this, in this society that we live in today. There are people that are moving in and out of, out of the community all the time. And when they come in, they don't have any friends. And so they're looking around thinking, how am I going to make friends? As they're driving to work, they see a huge billboard that says, friends. Here you can find solid friends, a beautiful family. Here you find acceptance. And it's us. It's the SDA church. Is it going to cost you a little bit? Sure. But we've got to tell people that, that we're here. How are, we going to, how are we going to tell them that we're here if we don't tell them we're here? I mean, there's, there, are, there are buses that drive in your, in your town. Why, why don't you put advertisements on the, on the side of the buses? We did this in Calgary. Revelation Speaks Peace on the side of the buses. You couldn't go anywhere in Calgary and not know that Revelation Speaks Peace was coming because all their buses were plastered on this thing. They were just driving billboards. I mean, you, you should put whatever you can do to, to let folks know that you're out there, that you exist. One more minute and then we'll close. If there are short-term needs that the community has, do they know that they can count on you as a church? Do you know what the needs are in your community? How many of you right now could give me a list of the needs in your community? Not because you're trying to think quickly about what those are. Uh, let's see, I think that maybe because I've seen this, but because you've actually gone to the authorities. You've gone to the to the Chamber of Commerce, you've gone to the organizations, you've gone to the police department, you've actually gone to the city mayor's office and said, our church is here, we have manpower, we have funding, and we want to help the community. What are your needs? How many of you have done that in your community? How, how, are, you, how are you going to get known? How, how, 
How are you going to be a shining light? Sometimes we think that the shining light, Ellen White talks about in the last days, there will be streams of light and shining, shining lights in, in the communities uh, all around all the cities will have these shining beacons of light. That's the Seventh-day Adventist church. Well, if all you are is a building, you're not shining any brighter than anybody else. Just because you occupy a building doesn't mean that you're a shining light in that community. You have to take intentional action in order to become a shining light in that community. You've got to get out there and be known. You've got to find out what their needs are. See how compatible that is with the skill set that you have. Are you going to be able to meet every need in the community? No, we don't have that kind of funding. We don't have that kind of manpower and we don't have that kind of skill set. But I bet you're going to be able to find one or two things in that community that you are especially, especially um, prepared or trained to be able to do and to offer in the community. And so focus on that and begin to offer that in your community. And you're going to see that things are going to turn around for your church. I heard someone here say, but we have a small church. Every church can offer something. Every church can become a staple of some sort. As they start recognizing you as a faithful, contributing member of that city, then you become very important. And God is able to use that in very powerful ways. We'll continue this tomorrow. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, I thank you so much again for, for the wisdom that you have given in the Word of God that guides us, Lord, to, to the things of righteousness. Lord, I pray that you continue to bless us as we study, continue to bless this camp meeting, and Father, grow our faith and grow our churches. And once again, Father, we ask that you come soon and take us home. In Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.